Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Thankful for Wesley and Trey for singing that song this morning. Uh, we got a couple text messages last night at last minute. We, we had planned to do How Great Thou Art as, as it is in your bulletin. And then a couple text messages last night of a couple of our band members and not able to be here this morning. And so Wesley was able to scrounge. He, he keeps that song in his, in his back pocket and he does a really good, he does, he does a really good job with it. Um, but he, he, he does a really good job with it. Um, but first Timothy chapter three, we got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Um, so go ahead. Uh, if you're there, say word. Fantastic. Four of you are there. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. First Timothy chapter three, we're going to read verses one through seven. Now, we've already hit verses 1 and 2, but just for the sake of context, we're going to look at the entire passage. Hey, buddy. (laughs) All right. Here we are. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's flock? He must not be a recent convert, or or he may become puffed up, with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, I feel unqualified, not disqualified, but unqualified, to preach the qualifications of an elder. And so God, I pray that you would use me as you see fit, I pray, God, that you would help us to apply this text, this message to our lives. And, Lord, I ask that you would do something with this. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few years back, our our church, uh, several adults and several of our youth and college students went to um, Washington, D.C., for a mission trip. Uh, we, uh, we went and shared the gospel with several people, but, uh, we went and, 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 and worked on a couple houses and, and helped a church out. And, but one of the things that we did that, that, that I thought was special, um, not, it, not pertaining to the mission trip is we went to Arlington Cemetery, uh, just, just kind of walking through there. Seeing the graves, uh, the crosses, the memorials, all, it was a special kind of somber, uh, visit. Um, I think I had been there once when I was much smaller. Maybe not. I don't know. But going there as an adult was, was different. But one of the really cool things, I know it's like, wow, something cool about cemetery. One of the really cool things about Arlington Cemetery was visiting the tomb of the unknown soldier. Now, I don't want to talk about the tomb of the unknown soldier. I want to talk about the guards that guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. 
Now, I spent some time watching some YouTube videos about these guys, some documentaries about how to be a guard of that tomb. They, they, they do 24 hour shifts. They're 24 on, 24 off. Unless that, unless that has changed. That has changed in years past. But even on, even the 24 hours that these guards are off, it's not a full 24 hours off because it takes several hours for them to get prepared to come out and guard the tomb. Now, these, these, these guards have to look perfect. Their uniforms, I mean, everything has to be measured. There, there cannot be any scraggly pieces. I mean, like they, you would see them take lighters. I mean, just a little piece of thread sticking out. They'll take a lighter and they, I mean, everything's got to look pristine. So much so that when they step out and when they go up to the tomb, they have another guard that comes up and inspects them. He examines everything from the rifle to how he is looking, his uniform. And if he's not perfect, they've, they've got videos. You, you, you can even see it. They'll send the guard back. If he does not look presentable, it, you, you have to look perfect in order to guard this Tomb, and it is for the sake of the honor of those soldiers that this tomb stands for. And these soldiers are not doing this to be paid. They're not doing this for any type of recognition. You can ask, or you can't, but you, you could ask them. They're doing it just because of the honor to come out and guard that tomb. Now, they've been guarding that tomb for close or over uh, 100 years now. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that tomb has never not been guarded. Today, we're looking at the qualifications for elders. How is an elder to look in order to lead a church? How is a pastor to look in order to lead a church. Now you're probably looking at me and you're like, wow, he's wearing a tie this morning. I don't usually wear ties. I get claustrophobic around my neck. It, it, it distracts me while I'm preaching. And I don't know why I wore a tie this morning. It has nothing to do with a uniform or anything like that. I just, I got dressed and I was like, I'm going to wear a tie. And it kind of worked out perfect. But when we look at the qualifications for elders, we're not looking at Physical appearances. Just like the guards, they look at the physical appearance. The, the uniform, the measurement, uh, is it is it pressed? I mean, it takes them like four hours just to shine the shoes right. I'm not even kidding. YouTube these videos. I spent like an hour yesterday watching these. They It takes hours for them just to shine their shoes. It's amazing. But when it comes to the qualifications for elders... We're not looking at the outward appearance, but the inward appearance. How is it that an elder is supposed to look in order to lead a church? So here's, here's the main idea that I want you to have this morning. It's this. In order to lead people to be more like Jesus, the elders must look like Jesus. 
In order to lead people to be more like Jesus, the elders must look like Jesus. Now, here's what I, there's a reason why, leave, leave that up there. There's a reason why I worded it like that, okay? We are looking at the qualifications for elders. But as we look at these qualifications, church, every, every believer is called to look like this except for one qualification. Every believer is to be more like Jesus. So we, as the pastors and the elders of the church, we are the godly examples of that. We looked at that last week. We are called to be above reproach. That was last week's sermon. Through character and conduct, how our hearts and our actions match what we preach. But church, we all as believers are called to look more like Christ. So let's look at these qualifications and let's just kind of, let's just see what happens. All right, here we go. The responsibility of the elders in a local church, just so that you can have this definition, if you're still confused, I, 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 I spoke to one person and I said, we're, 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 we're preaching on elders at our church. And they're like, why are you preaching on old people? And I was like, that's not what we're preaching on. Elders are pastors. Okay. The responsibility of the elders in a local church, the responsibility of the pastors in a local church are to give joint oversight of the church. Joint oversight and to be devoted primarily to the teaching and the preaching of the church and to provide pastoral care. All right? I'm not the best at all those things. I try, but that's what we're called to do. That's what the job of the elder is. They bear, listen, they bear... The ultimate responsibility for the church and the care of the church before God. So who, who is in charge of the worship service? Who is in charge of what we do as a church? Who is in charge of the spiritual oversight? It's not the deacons. It's the elders. We are held responsible for it. But we as a church believe in congregational rule. You church are in charge of placing your pastors and elders in the position that they are in. You call them to lead you. However, when we look at the responsibility of the church, when we look at the qualifications of elders and pastors, not every man is is called or qualified to be an elder. Not every man is. So I'm going to break this down. I've broken this down into three sections. We're going to look at the elder's family life, the elder's personal life, and the elder's spiritual life. Okay? Just to kind of make it a little easier. So the elder's family life. That's the first one. The elder's family life. Let's look at that. Now, my OCD with with, with preaching scripture is a little crazy this morning. We're going to skip around with verses. Ah, it's driving me crazy, but I could not make it flow how I wanted it to. So we're going to skip around. But if you look at verse 2, Paul says, Therefore, he's talking to Timothy, talking about elders and overseers and pastors. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife. Okay. Now, first thing under elders' family life. First thing, an elder is to be faithful to his wife. He's to be faithful. John MacArthur, one of my favorite preachers, has said, uh, some may wonder why Paul begins his list with this quality. He does so because it is in this area above all others 
where leaders seem most prone to fall. The failure to be a one-woman man has put more men out of the ministry than any other sin. It is thus a matter of grave concern. This is an important qualification. Now, let's, let's break this down. This is not talking about polygamy. Okay? It's not talking about you cannot have multiple wives. You can't be a part of the church in the New Testament or even in, in Rome and have multiple wives. You just can't. That was looked down upon. So it's not about polygamy. It's not about whether or not a man is to be married. This is not about marital status. Being the husband of one wife is not saying that an elder has to be married. That would disqualify Paul immediately. It's not even about whether or not a man has been divorced. A man can be viewed as a husband of one wife in that sense of having never been divorced and still be disqualified because he's not faithful to his wife. So what is this about? If it's not about marital status, it's not giving a blanket statement. What is it about? It's about moral character. It's about moral character. Is the elder faithful to his wife? Does he love his wife? Does he have eyes for her only? You got to understand, in, in, in Ephesus, it's a very promiscuous place. Men are not faithful to their wives in Ephesus. They're not. There's a temple of the goddess of sexuality there. There are temple prostitutes outside of that temple. You think it's easy to cheat on your wife? Live in Ephesus. It's even easier. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So first, the question we need to ask about our elders, our pastors, does he love his wife like Christ loves the church? Is he faithful to her? Now listen, history matters. History matters. This, when we look at an elder's qualification of faithfulness, and then we're going to see about it with deacons too, there has to be a pattern of faithfulness and devotion. It can't just be, he's been faithful for the past year. He's got a bad past. No, there has to be a pattern of faithfulness. Has he been faithful? This comes back to the above reproach. There can be no reason for blame to come. Winston Churchill, I love Winston Churchill. If there's a leader that I want to emulate, it's Winston Churchill. He did most of his office work in his bathtub. It's amazing. Winston Churchill once attended a formal banquet in London. Okay, And at this banquet, there were all these dignitaries, and, and, and they were all asked the same question, including Churchill. They were all asked, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Everyone was really curious as to what Churchill was going to say. Churchill was the one that, that you didn't really know what was going to come out of his mouth, but whatever it was, it was going to be good. 
He was seated next to his wife, Clemmie, at that time. And when it was finally his turn, he was the last to go, which was good. Because everybody, they probably orchestrated that. But when they finally got to Churchill and they, and, and they asked him, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? This was Churchill's response. He says, if I could not be who I am, I would most like to be. And he paused and he grabs his wife's hand and he says, Lady Churchill's second husband. The man loved his wife. He, he was faithful to his wife. Now, he had other things that, that we probably don't want to emulate, but one thing is that he loved his wife. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, took this qualification so seriously, so seriously that he would never meet with a woman by himself ever, ever. And that's why I've, I've got that rule. I will not meet with a woman by myself. Will not. That was why when I first started here and I was the only one in the building at the office, I would never tell you when I was here. And when I was here, the doors were locked. Nobody could could come in. I didn't want any surprise visitors. Because I didn't want to be by myself with another woman. Billy Graham took this qualification so seriously, he would never meet with a woman by himself ever. In fact, when he would travel and preach, he would have one of his assistants go into his hotel room that he's staying at and he would inspect every corner of that hotel room so that nobody would even try to meet him in there to make him look bad. That's how serious Billy Graham took this. So the question we got to ask is, is the elder, is the pastor faithful to his wife? Does he love her? See, cherish her. I'm sorry, church, but I love my wife more than, more than this church. And if for some reason it ever came to having to choose between my wife and Red Cross Baptist, I'm going to choose my wife. And pastors have had to make that choice because ministry is so hard. But because I am faithful to my wife, because I love my wife. And one of the reasons why I love her is I can never get anybody better. I don't even know why she married me. But because I'm faithful to her, you can trust I'm going to be faithful to you. That's why elders are called to be faithful to their wives. This qualification even prohibits men who are promiscuous or even homosexual. He is to be a husband of one wife. And he must have that consistent pattern of faithfulness to his wife of honor, love, and devotion. Now, can divorce disqualify an elder? Absolutely. Because it depends on if he was, as we're going to see later, or here shortly, able to manage his own household well. But the, the qualification of husband of one wife is not about divorce it's about faithfulness it's about love so let's look at the next point not only is he to be faithful to his wife he's to be a leader of his house a leader of his house so look at verse four and five he must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive for someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for god's church 
Now, when we look at the elder, the pastor being a leader of his house, we need to see that he is the spiritual provider for his home. He's the one that is guarding his wife's soul, his children's soul. He's the one that is making sure sin is not entering into his home. Ephesians 5, 22 and 24, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, husbands, don't, don't ever look at your wife if she ever gets mad at you and say, Submit to me. That's like a pot up against the face to you if you're not careful. But Scripture does say, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Pastors and elders are called to be family men. Men who are leading their home. Men who care about the home. Men who care about their wives and children. Men who want to raise their children up in a godly home. Now this does not mean that an elder has to have children. The same with the husband of one wife. This is not saying he has to be a dad. But what it is saying is, is if he is a dad, he needs to be managing his house well. His children need to be submissive. They don't need to be running all around town and burning everything down. They need to be listening to their father. This does not mean that his children need to be Christian. But it does mean that he's raising his children up in a godly household. It's not on the fathers or on the mothers as to whether or not the children are believers. It's on God and God alone. But it's through the parents' prayers. It's through the parents' leading and teaching and guiding and disciplining parents we discipline. If he's not a leader in his house, then he's not qualified to lead the house of God. He has to be a leader. And there are many ways that he can be disqualified with this qualification. If he doesn't lead his house well, Making it to where his, you know, he leads his wife or, 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 or maybe he, you know, is allowing his children to do whatever they want to do, live however they, they want to live. There are many disqualifications that can come from this. But he has to be a leader of his home. He has to lead his home like Christ. So to the men in this room who are husbands, to the men in this room who are fathers, and to the men in this room who may one day be in that position, can your wife, can your children look to you and say, you look like Jesus in the way that you lead this home? Men, we need to look like Christ in our homes. That's what we are called to. And we especially need to love our wives like Christ loved the church. All right, not only are we looking at the elder's family life, number two, we're going to look at the elder's personal life. I told you, this is more like a 
quick overview, but we're going to hit some of these qualifications again next week as we look at the qualifications of deacons. But let's look at the elder's personal life. Now, this is going to be a little quicker. All right, are you ready? It's a race. All right, first, he's sober-minded. Sober-minded. Look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded. What does this mean? He's clear-headed. He's able to think clearly. He's got to be... He's got to be able to give good judgment calls. If if anything has shown us that, the past two years have. How do we lead the church in a pandemic? How do we handle when when, when people are pro-mask and pro-vaccine and then people are anti-mask and anti-vaccine? How do we lead both parties? How do we lead a church in the middle of a political catastrophe within our world? We gotta be able to think clearly, to be sober-minded. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We're to be sober-minded because the devil is, is ready to pounce. And who do you think the devil's gonna wanna go after first? The leader of the church. And again, I'm not, I'm not up here trying to, trying to, to say that I, I've got it worse. But it's, it's, it's simple military strategy. If you want to take out the battalion, what do you do? You take out the leader of it. And they're wondering what's going on. So elders and pastors, we are called to be Sober-minded, clear-headed. Secondly, we're called to be self-controlled. Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now listen, church, these qualifications, I'm not just talking to elders and pastors or even men who aspire to it. I'm talking to everybody. This scripture is not just for the leaders. We are called to be self-controlled. We are called to have it together to where we are serious about spiritual things. We care about holiness. We, we, we want to hate what God hates and we want to love what God loves. We want to view the world through God's eyes. And how do we do that? In a self-controlled lifestyle, how do we do that? By being in God's Word. Too often, people, people are trying to view the, the, the Word of God through the world. When we need to switch it up and we need to view the world through the Word of God. Church, we do that by being self-controlled. We do that by, by knowing the things of God. We do that by training ourselves. We do that by being disciplined. The next one, respectable. This is where we can look at that disciplined, orderly life, being well-behaved. 1 Timothy 4.7, we're going to look at this later. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Some translations might be New King James. says, rather, discipline yourself for godliness. Is the elder, is the pastor respectable? Does he live this type of life? Can we look at him and have respect for that? Robert Murray Machane is a Scottish pastor. He died at the age of 29. 
29 years old, he died. But he, he, you need to read him. That's all I got to say. But he once said to other pastors, he said, how diligently the Calgary officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword. He's talking to pastors, elders. You're his instrument. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be its success. He then added, it's not great talent that God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. And here comes one of his most famous quotes. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And Mishuri, Mishuri, Mishane prayed, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Yes, elders and pastors are called to be disciplined and respectable and, and are called to be holy and are, are called to live that kind of life. But church, so are all believers. Elders and pastors just lead people to look like Christ. But we do that by looking like Christ, by imitating Christ. We as elders and pastors need to be able to say like Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Next, he is not to be a drunkard. He is not a drunkard. Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He is not to be one that... That, that, that feels like that he has to drink it all away. He, and then not only is he not to be a drunkard, he's not to be addicted to any type of vice. We're not just talking about alcohol. We're talking about drugs. We're talking about porn. We're talking about anything that he feels like he has to find an escape or relief with. He's not to be a drunkard. Next, he's not to be violent but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. What does that mean? Well, you guys don't want a violent pastor, do you? That's just scary. But he's to be gracious. Your elders and pastors are to lead the church with a gentle hand. One commentary says that he is to easily pardon human failure. He doesn't remember the evil things done to him. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't seek retaliation. Your elders and pastors are men who sometimes are going to feel like punching bags. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we take criticism. And a lot of times it's not constructive criticism. But we don't retaliate. We don't hold grudges. We don't, we don't seek revenge. We just pray people out. That's all we do. <laughs> not violent, but gentle. Next, he's not to be quarrelsome. I'm just going down the list out of 1 Timothy 3. He's not to be quarrelsome. Uncontentious. He's not to be one who seeks a fight. He's not even one, he's not even one who, who needs to feel like he has to be right all the time. He's not looking to always debate. He is instead one who seeks unity rather than disunity. He's not to be quarrelsome. 
And the next one, the last one for this section, he's not to be a lover of money. It's not to be greedy. Let me tell you, ministry, you're not going to make money in ministry unless you're preaching the wrong gospel. You're not. I've had to tell my wife this so many times. Like, honey, we're not going to have a big house. We're not going to drive nice cars. I'm constantly going to have to YouTube how to fix cars so that we can save money. But being in ministry is not because we love money. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The elder is not to be one who's doing this for money, but willingly, joyfully. We're not, we're not doing this. We're not preaching God's word to receive earthly Treasure. We're preaching God's word to proclaim the heavenly treasure. To show you the truth of Christ and the glories of His grace. We are not to be a lover of money. We're to be a lover of the one who came and died for us. Because if you want a good pastor, good, if you want good elders, you need men who love Christ more than anything in this life. Thirdly, not only are we looking at the spiritual's personal life, but we're going to look at spiritual life. Look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. And to go down to verses 6 through 7, it says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the hands of or, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the, of the devil. So first off, last three, first off, he's to be spiritually mature. Spiritually mature. Can he be young? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I became the pastor here at 29. Now, I might be the worst pastor you've ever had. But can you be a pastor and be young? Absolutely. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Might be 2 Timothy. Instead, set an example in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. But can we be spiritually young? No. No. They need to be spiritually mature. He must not be a recent convert. Or he has... He has the warning of becoming puffed up with conceit. Church, I did that one time. I preached, I preached a message at my last church. I was a youth pastor. I preached, it was, it was probably my first sermon there as the youth pastor. I got up, I proclaimed whatever it was I preached. It might have been heretical at that time. I don't know. But when I came down, everybody in the church that shook my hand on the way out, Fantastic message. We're so glad that you were here serving. Oh, great message. Oh, man, we can't wait to see you be a real preacher one day because I was a youth pastor. And then I get done and I'm like, I'm the greatest preacher in the world. And then I go and I tell one of my youth, my, my youth pastor friends, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm done. No more youth ministry. I'm, and then he's like, He's like, listen, he's like, sometimes, this was the greatest words of wisdom I've ever received. He says, sometimes your people are going to like the second string quarterback after the first string quarterback is wearing out. 
I was like, you calling me the second-string quarterback? He's like, yeah. He's like, first string goes back in next Sunday. You're getting benched. I was like, you're right. We're to be spiritually mature so that we're not getting puffed up with conceit. Secondly, this is not in the bulletin. Second one, he needs to be hospitable. He needs to be hospitable. Look at verse 2 again. He needs to be hospitable. What does that mean, to be hospitable? He needs to be willing to open the doors of his home to strangers. He needs to be willing to have conversations with people that he don't know. He needs to love and care for people that are probably going to hate him. I mean, really, being hospitable, like, like being a pastor. I'm just going to be honest. 100% of the people in your church don't like you. There are people in your, in, in your church who are excited to see the pastor come in and are going to be even more excited to see him go out. It's like buying a boat. Get excited to buy the boat, and then you get even happier when you sell it, and it's gone. But we're to be hospitable. Show love and grace to everyone. Everyone. Why? Because Christ, in His infinite love and grace, showed that to us, enemies of God, people who hated Him. And yet He still died for us. Still died for us. And lastly, and I saved this for last. Oh, thank you. You put it up there. Lastly, able to teach. I saved this for last because this is the only qualification that elders are to have, but not every believer is to have. This is the only qualification that distinguishes elders from deacons. Deacons have the same qualifications, but they're not called to teach. Elders have a qualification to be able to teach. Because how are you to lead the church of God if you're not going to be proclaiming the truths of God? That's how elders lead. You, We lead from the pulpit. We lead from the word. We need to be people, elders and pastors need to be people who are students of the word of God if we are called to teach. We need to be willing and able to spend hours in our study throughout the week, mining the text. And let me tell you, I've come across texts of Scripture where it's taken me 20 hours to prepare a sermon because I have no idea what it's saying. But we are called to be able to teach. We need to be men who are convicted by the Word of God. Men who have been gripped by it. Who know that there's nothing better in this world than the truth of God's Word. Who know that if there's anything in this world that conflicts with it, that goes against it, that we should hate these things. Push them to the side. And we should stick to the word of God. Elders are called to be able to teach. This is the only qualification of skills. It is. But understand, church, out of all these qualifications, we cannot muster these up by ourselves, by our own strength, by our own skill set, by our own wisdom. All of these, for each and every single one of us, except for able to teach, all of these qualifications, all of these things that we should be aspiring to, 
is only available through the grace of God. And Christ has made that available by dying on the cross for our sins and rising again three days later so that the Spirit may live within us. And it is through the Spirit's power. It's through the Spirit's power, church, that we can be faithful to our spouses. It's through the Spirit's power that we are able to lead our homes, that we are able to be gentle and not violent, that we're able to love Christ and not money. It is through the Spirit's power that we're able to do all these things. And for the pastor and the elder, it is only through the Spirit's power that we can preach and teach God's Word. You heard me pray earlier, God, I need you to do something with this text. Because I can tell you, no matter what sermon I prepare, only God can proclaim it. And only God can preach it to your hearts. Only God can convict you of your sin. It don't matter how well I can prepare a sermon. It's all through the Spirit of Christ who is able to empower us, to qualify us to teach. So church, elders and pastors are not called to guard an unknown tomb of a fallen soldier. But we are called to guard and lead and equip the bride of the one who left his tomb after he rose again three days later and is now seated and ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. We are called to live godly lives We are called to be qualified by looking like Christ. We may not on the outside look perfect. I may not be easy to look at. But it's not about what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. That's how God qualifies us. By transforming us giving us a heart of Christ, a heart of the one who died for our sin so that we may be saved. In church, that is the only elder, the only elders and pastors that are qualified to lead are those who have been gripped by the blood of Christ and are now living like Him. So I pray for you this morning. I pray for the church that... that, that That no matter what happens to me, now I'm not planning on going anywhere. For those of you that wish that I would, I'm sorry. Um, But, uh, I'm just messing with you. But, if you ever are in need of a new pastor or elder, I pray that you take these qualifications seriously. But even with me, take them seriously. Because if, if you see that I'm not qualified in any of those areas, it's time for a conversation any elder in our church. But church, as believers, as believers in Christ, we are called to live like Jesus. We are called to look like Jesus. So I pray we do. We can only do it by looking to Him and by relying on His strength and His power through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful, God, that you are gracious. We are thankful, God, that you are good. God, we are thankful that you empower men to be pastors and elders of churches. 
God, I pray that through your gospel and the people in this church can aspire to those same qualifications. That they can aspire to be faithful. That they can aspire to be leaders of their homes. That they can aspire to look like Christ. And God, we know that that is only possible through your grace. As we rely on you, as we rely on you to do a work within our hearts, as we rely on you to empower us and equip us through your word. God, I pray that you would help us as we seek to do that, as we leave here this morning. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.